Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Adam, man, good to have you on. Thanks for joining. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So if you don't mind, maybe just give a little intro of yourself and uh, your work and uh, let the audience get to know you a little bit and definitely throw in a plug for your two podcasts, because I want to make sure everybody gets to listen to you. That's how we met. Yeah. So I've been podcasting for a few years. I've got one called Web of Tomorrow, where I will occasionally interview people that I think are interesting relating to the web. It's not always about web development, but it's people who work on the web. Sometimes it's a a developer who writes a book or a designer who uh, designed a, a board game. And then I've got a podcast called Book Bites, where four of us talk with talk about books that we're reading related to development, and then we usually talk with the author as the last episode. So I've been a front-end JavaScript developer for years and years, and I'm now transitioning into being a full-stack developer, and I just have to continually learn, and that's one of the reasons why I'm transitioning into this, and, and there's so many challenges with that that I'd like to talk about. And where I'm currently working is Pluralsight. And what we do is continual learn- learning. We provide the ability for companies to skill up by, with video courses and challenges and taking skill IQs and things like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if people are not aware of Pluralsight. It's, a, it's an awesome set of tools. So uh, totally check that out. You know, definitely I'll give the plug there because uh, we've seen a lot of people do a, a lot of uh, substantial PD on there, uh, leveling up, you know, their own skill sets. But yeah, talk about that journey a little bit of uh, wanting to become full stack developer. You know, I think people throw that term around a lot, but like, what are, what are your motivations, right? If you've been in the JavaScript world, primarily, I guess, in the front end then. Yeah. Why even you know want to do that? It's like not like there isn't you know plenty of stuff to do <laughs> on the front end, and and the world is being eaten by JavaScript. Yeah, um, you know what's that been like? Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the biggest motivations was I wanted to work for Pluralsight, and they mostly just have full stack developers. Um, I love making things for the web. I love making something that people can see, and so I love the front end. I love the the immediate feedback of that. And when I first got started in, in college, I, I messed around with some full stack stuff. I, I did some PHP sites. And then when I got into the, my first job, I, it ended up being just, or my second job, it ended up being just JavaScript. And I really, really love that. And I, I really love React. But I found that I can't 
I can't make a full product on my own. If I wanted to make an entire app on my own, I couldn't do it. And also being able to own the full stack from the front end all the way to the back end to the database, it really allows you to be in full control and you're not waiting on another developer to provide an API for you. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And and we we see companies, you know, sort of, they go both ways, I guess, you know, like there's an idea of specialization, right? Like be awesome at like, you know, one area in the stack, you don't need to know everything. And then there's the other idea of like, you know, hey, we want people to be able to touch, you know, the full scale of the product. And I've also noticed, tell me if this is the case, you know, in your experience, but I've noticed that full stack has started to mean more and more, not just like on the development side, but more on like the communication side and, you know, sort of customer empathy and like soft skills and sort of full stack employee. Have you experienced that? It it feels like things are pulling that direction, you know, in engineering more and more now. Yeah, a little bit. We don't talk directly with customers who are having issues, but we, we do all of the developers and the designer and the PM on our team. It's a cross-functional team. We will go and talk with customers when we're thinking about an idea to figure out what their pain points are. And those are called voice of the customer meetings. And then we will make a prototype and then we'll go to customers again and see what they think of that. And we're also having to deal with other teams. So the developers are going straight to developers of other teams and and communicating that way. Yeah, I think engineering is being, I don't want to say forced, but it is sort of like, that's just the trajectory now, like where, you know, I coded a long time ago and you were allowed to get away with this, like sort of, you know, in the basement and not talk to anybody stuff. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And so you're, you've broadened, your, you know, I guess you're speaking and your sort of outreach and you talk about continual learning, like into the the podcast space, we get a lot of developers that ask questions about, you know, Hey, how do I, I don't know, how do I write? Or, you know, Oh, I heard about this new DevRel stuff. That sounds interesting. And I want to speak or what about podcasts? And I don't know, just talk about that experience and, and how it's broadened your learning and maybe, maybe some of the challenges that you had to overcome there. Yeah. My, let's see. I feel like I'm a very unlikely person to have gotten into podcasting. I don't, I don't go and speak at conferences. I want to start doing it, but it's very intimidating to me. I've spoken at a few local ones, but the way I got into web of tomorrow was there was a friend at work and he had just gone to a dev boot camp, and he wanted to start a podcast as a way of learning. And the idea was that he would be the noob on the podcast and then he wanted someone else to be the more experienced person to, to talk with and then chat about things. And so that's how it started. It was just me and Riley talking about something he might, might not know that much about. And when he eventually left the podcast, then I just decided to continue and interview people that I thought was interesting. And so, yeah, it, I've definitely learned a lot because you have to be prepared for that kind of interview, you have to learn. I have had to learn things I wouldn't otherwise learn in order to just ask intelligent questions. Yeah. Yeah. And how's that, how's that tap into like, you know, the engineer mind? I mean, I I would, I would imagine that there's like a, it's like a stretch area, right. You know, and like, it's not the same 
creative area of your, like, or even the same lobe of your brain. I don't know about exactly how that works, but to me, it doesn't feel the same as when I might try to go and code, you know, and figure out a solution to a problem. It's very much more abstract, you know, does that, does that happen to you too? Yeah, it's, it's very different. And I feel like it's provided me with communication skills at work where I can, I can communicate on different levels so that if I'm talking around a designer or a PM about a problem, I try not to let the developers go too deep into the weeds because that's not what's important at that moment. I try to keep the big picture in mind. Has the interviewing skills actually helped with the different types of, of stakeholders, like more so than, you know, one or the other? Um, hmm. No, I can't think of one or the other that's, that's been, I don't know. You know, it's just like, I'm wondering if like developers, you know, talking to developers is different than, you know, talking to, I don't know, PMs or business stakeholders or designers, you know, maybe they like interviewing people might have more to do with that kind of, uh, creative abstraction. I haven't tried and tested the difference myself. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it definitely helps with interviewing people. And then going to interviews myself. Right. Yeah. And I wonder about um, voice of the customer stuff Right, is very much right. an interview process. I mean, for sure. So I would imagine that one of the things I hear all the time from engineering leaders is like, you know, customer empathy, customer empathy, customer empathy. I mean, that just never came up before. It's like picking up a lot of stuff from the product manager playbook, you know, but way back in the design process, you know, with, with engineers and, and cross-functional teams, um, I can certainly remember when, you know, engineers were not invited to those meetings. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you know, that you just take directions from the project manager or, you know, the PM or the business analyst. Yeah. I used to Um, just take orders and, you know, here's the feature you need to build. And I didn't know why, didn't know how they came up with that idea or if it was really the right thing to build. And do you think that the engineering discipline has evolved or like, are people learning, you know, on the stakeholder side, how to work better with engineers? Cause I, I kind of go around in circles on that myself, yeah. you know, is it, is it the engineers have changed or is it that demands on engineers have changed or is it that people are starting to be like, Oh wow, we hired these really smart, expensive people. You know, we should ask them what they think. <laughs> I don't know what's changed in the industry overall, but at Pluralsight, the big thing is that we focus on flow efficiency. And that means trying to get a feature out the door rather than resource efficiency, which means keep your program as busy as much as possible, which means keep typing Uh, at the keyboards all the time. And so, so then we, so it's going to be like speed of release of feature or, or I guess it's not speed. It's like, it, it's kind of like an effectiveness measure of like yeah. actually getting the right feature out the door. It's like, once you put a card on the board, how long does that card take to get to done rather than okay. having a bunch of stuff sitting in your backlog for a long time? Is that going to be like a Kanban yeah. type of methodology? Yeah. Well, okay. it's uh, it's lean. Yeah. Right. So because of that, developers don't have to be busy all the time. It's more important for them to go to a VOC meeting 
or a planning meeting and be involved the entire process rather than keep them at the keyboard all the time. And then they get handed a feature and then they start working on it and they have all these questions and all these problems come up that would have been discovered earlier on if they were involved from earlier on in the process. Right. Do you think this that's a evolved or like really, you know, sort of positive way to measure engineering performance? You know, because like, there's there's a lot of opinions about how do you measure productivity or, you know, should we track work in progress or should we track, you know, sort of um, aging in the in the backlog or, you know, is is flow the right way? Is it the best way you've seen? Well, I don't know that we're actually measuring flow, but that's what mm-hmm. that's how we think about it. So I don't know the right way to measure it. There's there's yeah. certain numbers that are easy to look at, right? But that they, they don't necessarily mean anything. Like lines of code written doesn't mean anything, but it's an easy number. Right, right. Uh, another one that comes up all the time is, you know, like code coverage. And yeah. it's just like, well, you know, <laughs> I could write you a bunch of tests on things that don't yeah. matter and, <laughs> and cover them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I, I sort of, I empathize with the business and executive stakeholders who are kind of just like, wow, you know, we have really expensive engineering payroll and, you know, let's make sure we're getting the highest return on investment from those folks. Yeah, like I've, uh, but I've, it's heard, such uh, a, I've heard some people say, you know, if a bunch of developers are in a meeting, like, wow, this is a really expensive meeting. Well, right. not really, because they're all paid a salary and they get paid no matter what. I mean, it's really about, is this valuable for them to work on right now? Or is this valuable for them? They don't have to be writing code all the time. Right, right. It's like a good investment to take some time and think, you know, and not just be slamming on code um, like a bricklayer or something. <laughs> you know, like it, I think that it's moved into a higher order of craftsmanship you know, for, for engineering than it, than it used to, where it, it would have been like, you know, we just need you to implement features in order the way they are on the spec and don't ask any questions. And uh, at least somebody has figured out that, you know, that's, that's not very yeah. productive because you can very quickly, you know, and I guess you can efficiently do the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> just like come, come out with the wrong answer as fast as possible. <laughs> and uh, so and, and quickly uh, that, the term craftsmanship I really like because you're you're creating something good, but it's also useful. Um, however, mm-hmm. I've been trying to come up with a good gender neutral word for craftsmanship, and I haven't come up with one yet. I I write it as craftsperson sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you don't. I don't know that that's even a word, but yeah, we do write that. And I sometimes I will do crafts. Paren, W-O, Paren, M-A-N. <laughs> so trying to, try to figure yeah. it out. But I know that, that that's very binary, right? So that, that doesn't check all the boxes yeah. either. So let's go with craftsperson. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, so you've interviewed, you know, kind of all these authors and, and read all these these books. I, I don't know, trends or, you know, like key learnings that, that you've walked away from and advice on, you know, what people ought to be consuming, you know, to... I guess, you know, to advance that, that craft from um, what have you all learned in doing all that reading and, and talking about the books? Yeah. So there's a certain type of book we try to read. It's something that's interesting to developers of all, all types of developers, not language specific, unless it's, um, 
We might do one called Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, where you get introduced to seven different languages. But wow. In in that case, we just we'll just kind of talk about what was our experience like, how hard was it? So we we try to do books that are not too code heavy, and then you know something that's easy to talk about. And we try to get a wide range of different types of books. So some are history, some are soft skills, mm. um, some are about clean code, some are about computer science um, topics, uh, and and some are about ethics and soft skills, diversity, and inclusion. But you're asking about what are some of the common things we've learned? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, I think when people write books, you know, they come to a a specific topic, right? And I'm always interested, like, what's the same and, and common amongst you know, all those books, because ultimately like zoom out, right. And if you take like a systems view, we're talking about different pieces of all the same complex engineering or organizational systems every time. Yeah. And that's what they're all about, you know? So I'm, I'm curious what you take away when you intentionally study all the different views and angles and, and thinking, what do you walk away from and, and think about if you now have that full body of knowledge that, that a lot of us have not taken the time to intentionally, you know, study. Yeah. One thing I've learned is we can, it's four developers on the podcast and we can relate almost anything back to software engineering or computer science. For example, we read, um, we read code girls, which is about code breakers during world war two, the women code breakers. And we also read ready player one, which is a, a sci-fi fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. And that's just one thing we, we like to do because we're developers reading these books. We're going to relate them back to things we can understand. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, it's like developers get very, um, so commonly aligned with, you know, I don't know, fantasy or, you know, zombie books or like, you know, sci-fi. But, but I think those, you know, sort of general tropes, you know, don't capture all of the complexity, right. Of a particular group of people. And you could be into like anyone or or none of those things. And um, you wouldn't be part of the normal sort of stereotype of of developer, you know, like going to comic con or, you know, (laughs) whatever that is. And um, what's the, What's the feedback been like, you know, when your, your community kind of talks back to you about, about the episodes and, uh, have you heard anything like that? You know, that, Hey, I I identify with, with what you guys were talking about. I don't know on X, Y, or Z. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of really good feedback. Some people are reading along. I heard from one person that said they, they wait till all the episodes are out about a certain book before they listen to it. And then Mm -hmm. they just binge listen to them. That was interesting. (laughs) Um, we did get one negative feedback where I was actually trying to be inclusive, but the way I worded it was actually not inclusive. And so that's the one thing we have to, that's a topic that comes up a lot is diversity and inclusion. And it's something I'm yeah. working on. That's uh, very difficult. We've got, we've Dude, got two women know, on the podcast. One of them's a, a woman of color. And so they will balance us out and they'll ask us hard questions. 
And that's, that's such a huge macro topic. Now I talked about that with uh, Will Larson from Stripe as well um, and about his book and how it just, you know, it's just like everything is about that. And, and like, why do you try to think about being diverse and inclusive? Like you really have to like mine your, your value set, you know, cause it isn't just like a box to check where I think maybe that those, those types of motivations were there you know, before that we ought to, you know, check these boxes and like, oh, yay, we're diverse, you know, and now what? And um, what does it mean to take all kinds of different ideas and process them in and, and rebuild our values and culture, you know, kind of in an inclusive way? And I've also experienced, you know, colleagues and friends and, and people online. It's just like everybody defines this differently. It is a challenging topic. And, um, you know, you have to find a place. It's cool that you put together a group of people where you kind of can be challenged and can ask those questions or, or, or be asked questions, you know, cause a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of look at it and be like, you know what, I seriously don't understand some of this and I need someone from a different community to help, you know, explain it to me. Right. Like, I, I don't know, you know, geez, I, I never considered the privilege and these different things happen yeah. um, via the way I grew up. And, you know, it, it it's cool that to have a, a safe place to, you know, kind of explore and ask those questions with like trusted colleagues. Yeah. I mean, one of the books we read was called Technically Wrong, which was about algorithms that are biased. But a lot of that's just based on, it came from software engineers who were not, were not a diverse group of engineers. So they just didn't, they weren't intentionally excluding people. They just didn't think of it and they didn't test for it. And a lot of bad stuff happened. Right. Right. Yeah. And you see like, you know, AIs run amok and, you know, sort of people that are, you know, trying to make things that understand certain topics, but, you know, they totally don't because, yeah. you know, like whatever the training set was, was bad. And um, yeah, yeah, the, man, I mean, we are just going to face so much of that mm -hmm. now. Yeah. One of the worst ones was that a group of black people where it was tagged, by a machine learning alg algorithm that tagged them as gorillas, yeah, which is not only like that. wrong, but a racial slur. Right. It's like totally offensive and incorrect. Like it's not like the, the system had an opinion is that it just wasn't back tested or trained with proper yeah. uh, diversity data. But man, when those results come out the other side, like you do not want to have your name on that. No. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Well, give a quick uh, pitch real quick for, I want to make sure everybody has this, the uh, access to the the two podcasts for, for those who are prolific listeners, um, you know, the, the social handles and um, where they can pick you up by the right names and stuff. Yeah. Both podcasts are at orbit.fm. Web of Tomorrow is at orbit.fm slash web of tomorrow. And Book Bytes is at orbit.fm slash book bytes. We come and with, I know you have Twitter handles, yeah. right? We usually come out with episodes every two weeks on Book Bites. I'm on Twitter at A G A R R H A R R. It's Agarhar for Adam Garrett Harris. And Book Bites is also on Twitter at Book Bites FM. Right on. Well, Adam, man, thanks for uh, spending time with us. Look forward to uh, more insights in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. 
If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.